John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 75 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. Unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Individual One Pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. Of the many things I plan to get into during this episode of the podcast is the question, can Joe Biden do this? Is Joe Biden up to this challenge? Well, oh, God. Because that uh, question has now been raised, uh, well, for a very long time and has been kind of underlying this entire podcast. But there were some events that occurred over the last few days that really brought this uh, home, specifically an episode between him and a very angry Iowa voter, which I will tell you about uh, in short order. But first, I, I want to uh, go through a couple of other things that occurred specifically within the impeachment proceedings against uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I said in the last episode, episode number 74 of the podcast, that the Judiciary Committee hearings with a bunch of liberal academics were not going to do anything at all to move the needle. Correct. Uh, And this was incredibly obvious because the last people that Trump supporters are going to listen to is a liberal academic when it comes to their view of Donald Trump. Correct. That's just the the reality of it. Uh, In fact, I can't think of anybody less likely to sway 
Trump-supporting public opinion, the 42-43% of the public in America that still supports Donald Trump, than somebody who is an academic, because after all, Donald Trump's fans uh, hate academics. I love the poorly educated. Uh, Especially of the liberal variety, which is almost uh, all of them. I mean, I'd say, you know, 90-95% of uh, academia is openly liberal, and three of the four, actually all four, of those who testified were at least somewhat liberal. Jonathan Turley, the lone somewhat Trump supporter, the Republican addition to the panel, I believe is compromised and co-opted, to use the phrase that we open each episode of the podcast with, because of his love of being on Fox News Channel. I mean, this is a guy who has been on Fox Channel News Channel quite a bit and will continue to be now on Fox News Channel because he supported the president, uh, by and large, uh, during his testimony on Wednesday in the Judiciary Committee. But a lot of the attention, and this, this I think, indicates so many things about how broken uh, our uh, media is, how broken our culture is, our society. We're all about sound bites now. We're all about little snippets of moments. We don't have the time. We don't have the attention span. Uh, most of us aren't very bright. And so we just want the highlights, whether it's in sports or politics or whatever. Just give us the damn highlights. We don't need to watch the whole three-and-a-half-hour game anymore. Uh, just uh, tell us who won, give us the highlights, and that's, that's pretty much it. And what becomes a highlight, see, this is the biggest problem I have with highlights. I mean, I, I, I like highlights as much as anybody. But it's what becomes a highlight that is most disturbing because usually a highlight is, indica- is indicative of absolutely nothing uh, based in reality. It's just something that captures the attention uh, for whatever reason. And oftentimes, it's the opposite of reality. And oftentimes, inherently, it can be easily taken out of context and create a uh, perception of reality that's not just wrong. It's 180 degrees uh, from what is actually true, as if the truth still matters. Well, the highlight from Wednesday's Judiciary Committee hearing, at least according to the media, especially the right-wing media, because my gosh... The right-wing media has turned into a bunch of special snowflakes, the types of which they have uh, criticized uh, liberals for being for many, many years. Because one of the uh, panelists, Professor Pamela Carlin, had the audacity, the audacity, I tell you, to reference Donald Trump's teenage son, Barron, uh, during an answer that she gave about a very important topic. And this is the part that pisses me off. I mean, if there is one thing, and there are dozens, if not over a hundred things that greatly bother me about the Trump presidency. The number one thing is that I believe he is moving us towards a monarchy, that he is trying to become a king, not necessarily consciously, although I, I do think he likes that idea, but because of who he is and his persona and the, his lack of respect for norms and traditions and laws and the constitution and everything else that goes with it effectively he is becoming a king he is changing our system of government into a monarchy the legislature the legislative branch has essentially uh, abandoned uh, their other than oversight in the house of representatives they've abandoned their role i mean we're really becoming a, a, a government now where the congress The only role they have, the House of Representatives, is presidential oversight, and that's assuming that it's in control of the party 
that is not in the same hands as the presidency. And the Senate, all they do is confirm judges. That's it. Now, there are some people who might think that in the short run, that's a good thing, because inherently, as, as I am, a conservative libertarian, government intervention is inherently a bad thing. However, uh, there are obviously many, many circumstances where this can be dangerous and dysfunctional, especially when you have a would-be tyrant in the form of Donald Trump as your president, who is more than willing to usurp all sorts of legislative power or just ignore legislative power for his own personal benefit. So this Professor Carlin, she uh, wanted to make a point about how Trump is not a king, and the way she did it, I th- actually, on paper, was pretty sound. But she uh, decided that she was going to play off the name Baron Trump in order to make that point. And here's what that sounded like. So kings could do no wrong because the king's word was law. And contrary to what uh, President Trump has said, Article 2 does not have, give him the power to do anything he wants. And I'll just give you one example that shows you the difference between him and a king, which is the Constitution says there can be no titles of nobility. So while the president can name his son baron, he can't make him a baron. Ha ha, he he, ha ha, we got it. Um, and I'm sure that Professor Carlin was very proud of herself when she came up with that line uh, and was uh, ready to, to use it in the impeachment uh, inquiry hearings. Uh, and, you know, for liberals, they loved that. I mean, that was, that was fantastic stuff. That's about as close to, to a sexual experience as they're going to get uh, during uh, the Judiciary Committee hearings. However, conservatives, oh my gosh. Oh, oh, the pearl clutching, the pearl clutching on behalf of conservatives and right wing media as they rushed to the defense of the poor Baron Trump, who had been disparaged during the impeachment hearings by these mean, nasty liberals. I mean, come on, really? It's just flat out ridiculous. This is not what happened. There, there, somehow, and I used to think that only liberals did this, but now we now know that uh, it's everybody uh, because conservatives be, have become just like liberals in their defense of Trump. I, I used to think that it was only liberals who would take something out of context purposely to pretend to be offended. And there used to be a difference between mentioning somebody in this case, just using their name as an example, playing off uh, the name Baron and the uh, the royal position of Baron, I guess you will, if you will. I mean, the point is a good one, and in a rational world, that wouldn't have been a terrible way to make the point. However, uh, conservatives everywhere decided to use this as, aha, see, they'll stop at nothing. They're going after the president's teenage child. Well, no. It was his it was name. The name was mentioned. It was a playoff of the name. At worst, at worst, it was a statement about the weirdness of the name Baron, which I don't even think it really was. But I mean, if that's if if you want to give her absolutely no benefit of the doubt whatsoever, it was a it was an attempt to make fun of his name, not him, but his name. And uh, it, what I found to be particularly hilarious about the right-wing faux outrage over her uh, use of the name Barron is how this president himself is famous, literally famous, for making fun of people's names. Correct. And the number one example, which I've referenced numerous times on this podcast, is the absolute absurdity that one of... (laughs) 
the prime talking points, and I'm not exaggerating, not making this up, one of the prime talking points, and I get this all the time, I, I'm, I'm for some reason still subscribed to a number of right-wing pseudo-news outlets mailing lists via email, and I read these headlines, and by, they, they drive me crazy, because they're all just nuts. They're just flat-out nuts. They're from an alternative reality. But it is uh, numerous times a week, numerous times a week, I'll get a right-wing pseudo-media uh, uh, outlet. Most of them are, are fake outlets. But I get a, a supposed news headline that references Adam Schiff and his last name rhyming with shit. I mean, really? Come on, people. You cannot be serious! But this is where it is. This is where we've gone as conservatives. As a former uh, lifelong Republican, lifelong conservative, I, I'm embarrassed by this. But somehow Adam Schiff is not to be uh, taken seriously because his last name rhymes with shit. And oh, by the way, he's got shifty eyes. Right? So therefore, his name proves it. I mean, if, if nothing else could possibly prove how corrupt this entire impeachment process is, it's the fact that the guy leading it in the Intelligence Committee, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, the House of Representatives, Adam Schiff, congressman from here in Southern California, in fact, I, right in the district from which we are broadcasting, he uh, has a last name that rhymes with shit, and he's got shifty eyes. So that's pretty much case closed. I mean, that's pretty much, I don't know how you can possibly impeach when those two things are uh, in effect. And it's not just Schiff, but I mean, Trump has done this numerous times with highly inappropriate nicknames that he's given people, oftentimes related to their names. So the hypocrisy, the absurdity of this right-wing outrage, the uh, hilarious pearl clutching that conservatives used to accuse liberals of doing on a constant basis was incredibly transparent. I mean, nobody was actually offended by the use of the name Barron. And yet that was the talking point. That was all especially right-wing Americans got out of what happened on Wednesday. That's it. If they got anything at all, the only thing that broke through was the use of the name Barron. And so, therefore, uh, the whole thing was largely a waste of time. There's no indication that it influenced uh, public opinion in either direction. I have been correct in my prediction that uh, public opinion on both sides of this was going to hit a brick wall. Trump did not build or has not built his wall on the Mexican border that he claimed was going to be uh, built with uh, Mexican money. Remember that during the, you know, the campaign? Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that yeah, wall. Yeah, we get it. Build that wall. Okay. Build that wall. Well, he never built the wall. He's claiming to. A lot of his Colt 45 thinks that he has. But he's never built the wall uh, on the Mexican border, certainly not with Mexican money. Uh, however, he has built a wall when it comes to public opinion. And I told you that public support for impeachment was going to hit that brick wall, and it has done so in both directions. I, it's almost impossible now to think of something that's going to dramatically impact the public opinion on impeachment. It appears as if, by a small majority or plurality, uh, the American people are in favor of his impeachment. It gets a little bit more vague when you add, okay, are you also in favor of his removal? 
it is remarkable how many people, what percentage of people are in favor of both. Because, and I realize that I'm not a, a target voter anymore. I'm highly unusual. There's about maybe 1% of the population that is in my category of somebody who is a lifelong conservative, but who very strongly believes that Donald Trump needed to be removed from office a long time ago. But uh, is impeachment without removal is a rational result of all this. It's not my preference. I do think it's where we're going to end up. I don't think it's the worst possible scenario in all this. We'll, we'll see how it plays out politically. But by and large, the, in the public's mind, if you're in favor of impeachment, you're in favor of removal. Whether that's because they don't understand that there's a difference, I think is probably a big part of it. I do think that there's a huge percentage of the American people who do not understand that there is a massive difference between the president being impeached in the House of Representatives and being removed by the United States Senate. Correct. So um, b b the bottom line of this is that uh, there's a, f a couple percentage points more of the population that believes that Trump should be impeached and removed than do not believe that he should be impeached at all. And those numbers correspond very close to everybody, I would say 100%, uh, of those who approve of his job in office, which is a number that is increasing again. It's somewhere in the 42 43% range. All of those people think that impeachment is a complete joke, a hoax, a, a, a coup, whatever you want to call it, and is illegitimate. The, uh, there are some people who disapprove of Trump uh, that number is probably in the 53, 54 percentile range uh, who do not necessarily believe that he should be removed. But that's a fairly small number. And I don't see those numbers moving very much. And they're all heading. They're all consistent with the, the bottom line being that he will, in fact, be impeached. But he will not, as I've been predicting for many, 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 many months, he will not be removed. Uh, however, I did find that that Carlin uh, statement is a sign of not just of hypocrisy on the part of the Trump forces, but also uh, desperation. That this is all they can hang on to. That uh, and and the and and it's a bigger picture, which I think we're going to see time and time and time again when we head into the 2020 election, is this incredible. Uh, canyon between the way that they treat Trump and the way they are expecting to treat his opponents. In other words, the standard of behavior that Trump's opponents are being held to in comparison to the standard of behavior, if there is one, that Trump's supporters hold Trump to is much larger than the Grand Canyon. Much larger. I mean, it is, it is hilarious. It's absurd. It's, uh, it's just flat out ridiculous. And, and, and I oftentimes find myself um, in awe, in awe of the ability of both Trump supporters and even soft Trump supporters in the, in the right wing media who don't see or don't seem to care about this massive hypocrisy. And I really think we're seeing a lot of this in the realm of how Joe Biden is being evaluated. And that's how... Uh, I started uh, the podcast telling you that I wanted to get, delve into this issue a little bit more deeply. And this week, there was a perfect example of this, which I think we're going to see more and more of, assuming that Biden, especially if Biden is the 2020 uh, Democratic uh, nominee. This week, Biden was doing a town hall in Iowa. 
And uh, he took a question from a guy who was clearly not a fan and who challenged him on the whole issue of Ukraine and his son, Hunter Biden. And there was a confrontation. He called the guy a liar. And he may have also called the guy fat, which he was. Uh, The audio is not great, and there's been some controversy over what was actually said. But I'm going to play for you about a minute and 15 seconds uh, of this confrontation just to give you a flavor uh, for what went down. A damn liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that. No one has heard that. No. You see it on the TV. No, I know you do. And by the way, that's why I, I'm not sedentary. I don't. I get up and and, and no, let, 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 let him go. Let him go. Look, the reason I'm running is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people know, and I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on? Let's do push-ups together, here, man. Let's do. Let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. Let's take another pizza. Number two. Number two. No one has said my son has done anything wrong, and I did not on any occasion. And no one has ever said it. Not I didn't once. say you were doing anything wrong. I you said, said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Isn't that what you said? Yes. Get I your word straight, Jack. That's what I hear on, the, on MSNBC. You don't hear that on MSNBC. You did not hear that at all. What you heard. Look, okay, I'm not going to get an argument you, man. Well, yeah, you do. But, uh, but look, fat, look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I can't even make out what the the uh, heckler, if you want to call him that, uh, said at the end. It does appear to me uh, that he does refer to the guy as look fat. Uh, there are some people who have taken issue with that. Now, prior to Trump, that might be a rational uh, issue. I mean, does he have, you know, is he so old now that he's no longer of presidential temperament? Is he going to call the leader of a foreign country, uh, hey, fat or look fat? Uh, I mean, you could at least argue that. Uh, To me, this is a non-issue now because, you know, we're we're no longer in Kansas. All the rules have been changed. And this is the part of the, the Trump phenomenon that really blows my mind is that Trump is allowed to blow up all the rules, yet his critics still have to play by the old rules. How does that work? I I, I really don't understand how this got set up. Uh, You know, I understand that Trump is benefited enormously from low expectations throughout his entire life his career his his political career his presidency i mean low expectations are a huge part of the reason why uh, trump is still in office and still uh, somewhat popular with a, a with a significant portion of the population and a very popular with a with a smaller portion of the population i get that but it still is just so stark and so obviously hypocritical that it, it i just find it astonishing i mean if donald trump let's just be very frank about this if donald trump handled a a questioner like that and he has his fans would be orgasmic in the response because they just want him to be a tough guy and put his critics in their place and to call the guy a liar and call the guy fat yeah go get him um yet somehow biden does this and once again the very same right-wing media types 
who were all over this faux outrage with regard to Baron Trump's name are doing the same thing or have been doing the same thing with Joe Biden. Oh, my gosh. He's too old. Is he unfit? Uh, you know, He's melting down. Wait a minute. Hold on. This is in the same week that Donald Trump uh, canceled a press conference and may have left London early, the site of a, of a NATO meeting early, because he was offended by a, a short video clip showing world leaders mocking him? Correct. Uh, I mean, that, that's melting down. And, I mean, and to me, I'm, I'm wondering, okay, so could you tell me which country this uh, fat guy from Iowa is the uh, the president or prime minister of? Could somebody please tell me that? To, to make this, because they're trying to make this uh, connection to, well, you know, the whole argument that Biden is making is we're not being respected on the world stage and that he can change that, uh, which, by the way, I don't think is necessarily a great argument, especially not for a general election, but that's another story for another day. Because uh, I think there's a ton better arguments to be made by Biden against uh, Donald Trump, but the the hypocrisy here is is so obvious and so stark, and yet nothing's going to stop it. And I, I think, and I'm always trying to figure out, okay, what's really going on here? What what is the bottom line of this? What's causing this, especially within within the right wing media? And um, I think there's a couple things. Uh, one, I think that there is a, a a tendency to isolate Trump as being completely separate from our normal experience within politics. I mean, you know, most of these people, especially in the media, have been covering this for this subject for a very long time, and they are used to the rules, and they are somehow created a compartmentalization in their mind that Trump gets his own set of rules. He is totally separate from our normal political ecosystem. He, he He's an anomaly. And I don't, to me, that doesn't make sense, especially when you're creating rules for engagement, especially rules for engagement for a political uh, presidential election, maybe the most important presidential election of our lifetimes. So that that's not, that's not fair. It doesn't make any sense. But I think that subconsciously, at least, that's part of what's causing it. An even larger cause of this, especially within the right-wing media, when I say right-wing media in this case, I'm not just talking about the the Colt 45 media. I'm not just talking about the people who are total state-run Trump sycophants. I'm talking about the, the it's, there's kind of like two levels, like there is with the Trump voter. There's the hard Trump cult member, then there's the tr- soft Trump cult member. I would consider my wife and definitely her family to be in the soft Trump cult member category. Well, there's some soft Trump cult member media outlets out there, and they are all very much out for Biden. Now, the reason why they're out for Biden, number one, is because it's good for Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump clearly views Joe Biden as the most dangerous competitor in a presidential election. That's why the entire Ukrainian scandal began, because he understands, and he's correct, that Joe Biden is a mortal threat to his presidency unless he's he's dirtied up, unless they can destroy his appeal with independent uh, white, blue-collar voters. That's what they need to do. That's why... Trump needed Ukraine to do this. They needed to focus attention on the only thing they had, which was this this convoluted story involving Hunter Biden and him getting paid a lot of money to be on a board of a Ukrainian company. 
no one no one's saying that that's you know the way the world ought to work but that's the way the world works and there's no evidence at all that i've seen that joe biden did anything wrong illegal improper the timeline on the whole prosecutor thing is way off it's the exact opposite of what the trump people tried to tell you i'm convinced of all that however I'm not convinced that the public is going to get it. In fact, the New York Times had an article two days ago, which was very uh, telling, in that the entire premise was there's no evidence Joe Biden did anything wrong, but the Trump team is betting on the idea that the public won't understand that. And I think that, fortunately, that's a pretty darn good bet by the Trump people. Correct. Because the public is dumb, especially the public that is willing to support Donald Trump. I love the poorly educated. And just by virtue of the Biden name being used consistently in conjunction with corruption in a foreign country, regardless of how valid or invalid it is, that has an impact over time. And so obviously there's a couple of things going on with those who are buying into this idea that Biden should be treated by the old rules while Trump gets the new rules. It's one that they want Trump to win because, let's face it, he's good for business, uh, and they've convinced themselves that at least some of the things that he does, especially in the realm of judges, is good for old-school republicanism or conservatism. But I think there's subconsciously, or maybe even not subconsciously, there's something deeper going on uh, by on the part of some of these people. I think they need, they have a visceral need to disqualify Joe Biden in order to justify what is going to be their ultimate support for Donald Trump in the 2020 election. They need to come to that conclusion. They need to be, I'm talking about people like Ben Shapiro. Okay, These are the type of people who have pretended to be fair arbiters and have been open-minded about whether or not they're going to support a second Trump term. But they now know because the nature of the cult and they've looked around, they saw what happened to Glenn Beck and they've seen what's happened to other media, you know, members like Shepard Smith is no longer at Fox News Channel. They know the conclusion they need to come to. That conclusion is I'm supporting Donald Trump for reelection. So now they need to figure out how do I get there? How do I get to Trump being the a viable option for me to endorse or support in 2020. Well, Joe Biden is the biggest hurdle to that because Joe Biden is the only Democratic candidate who can both win the nomination and who wouldn't necessarily be in the bat crap crazy Democratic category. But so if you can get rid of Joe Biden, if you can disqualify him because he's too old or whatever reason you're going to come up with, he's, he's just not fit to be president. There's a reason why he lost uh, twice previously. If you can disqualify him, now you can make the argument, well, I can't support Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders because they are too far outside of the ideological norm. They're, they're communists, they're socialists, uh, they're crazy, they're going to destroy America, and therefore I can use that to come to the conclusion which I already wanted to, which is that Trump needs to be reelected, and that's how I can maintain my audience. That's how I, you know, I'm not going to harm my career. That's how I can keep some semblance of my conscience. I can still pretend to be fighting for what is right. This works for them. But Biden is a problem. He's not a huge problem because let's face it, Joe Biden is, 
is a liberal. Uh, Joe Biden is a gaffe machine. There's plenty of good reasons in a rational world to be against Joe Biden being president. I never, before Trump, I never would have even imagined even being somewhat supportive of a Joe Biden presidency. But this is where we are. You go to war with the army you have, not the army you wish you had. And so at this point, Joe Biden is the only option that is viable that somebody who can win the Democratic nomination and who can beat Donald Trump uh, with a, a high degree of certitude. And so that's a problem for a lot of people on the right. Because let's face it, here's what Joe Biden is. This is what a Joe Biden presidency would be. It would be the last opportunity to hit a reset button. It, we would go back to some semblance of normalcy. We would go back to... Uh, politically, probably a third Obama term, but without uh, Obama's ability to rise the masses and to convince young people and, and you know, basically not as dangerous from, from a conservative perspective, uh, especially if the Senate was still in Republican hands. If the Senate was still Republican, the House is going to stay Democrat. Joe Biden was president. He'd probably only run for one term because he's that old. This would be as harmless a presidency to conservatism as you could imagine. He's a guy who is at least somewhat moderate. He was friends with John McCain. He knew Ronald Reagan. Hell, he knew George Washington, for God's sake. <laughs> Maybe not Washington. He clearly knew Abraham Lincoln. But uh, you know, So he's, no, he's known some Republicans <laughs> in his life uh, and, and is someone who is at least somewhat open-minded. He's not a crazy person. He's not a, a huge progressive ideologue. That's as safe as we're going to get. Is it perfect? No. Uh, not even close. We're, 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 but perfect is out the window. There, there is no perfect option here. Uh, Biden is the least bad option, as I have been saying, uh, for quite a long time. And that's problematic for those who need to be able to come to the conclusion that Trump is the best choice in 2020 for their own personal self-interest, whether that's in the conservative media or, by the way, if that's somebody who's just a regular voter, because the regular voter, the soft Trump supporting regular voter is going through the same calculus. They want to be able to vote for a Republican like they have their whole lives or certainly in the modern era of their life. And so they have a conclusion they've come to. Now they need to figure out a way to get there. And in order to get there, Joe Biden needs to be disqualified. And that's what this is all about. That's what the focus on this clip was about. That's what the focus on the word fat was all about. Who cares at this point whether or not he called a fat guy fat? And from a de ironically, in a Democratic primary, I actually think this helps him a little bit because it shows he's got some life. Now, the challenging the guy to a push-up contest is kind of goofy and weird but you know uh and by the way if the guy had biden had lost the push-up contest he'd be in a big whole lot of trouble right now but i actually think biden would win it um i, I think that my bottom line on joe biden is i think he's a guy who is a decent man i don't think he's very smart i i think he wants what is best for the country uh, i don't think he would do much harm I think that he would at least, if he was president, he would at least have the ability to unite part of the country should we ever find ourselves 
in a legitimate crisis, something that Donald Trump could never possibly do. Correct. And that's really, really important. The stuff about whether or not we'd still be mocked on the world stage and all that, I, you know, that's not that important to me. I mean, it's it, in a rational world, it would be important, but on the list of issues we have currently, it's not in the top 10. So, uh, you know, as far as whether or not Biden's going to be able to pull this off, I don't know. Because in order to do what he has to do to win the Democratic nomination, and there's some signs that his hold on that is strengthening, at least on the national level, I think he's going to have to give up some of his, what I've been referring to as his, his general election superpower. And right now, I'm amazed as, at how well he is doing in the national Democratic polls. He still has problems in Iowa and New Hampshire. And if Pete Buttigieg wins Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, then problem if you're a Joe Biden fan. Because let's just, let me just outline one potential scenario for you. Uh, Buddha Judge wins Iowa, comes in first or second in New Hampshire. Uh, Biden doesn't win either. Now you got a, essentially a three-person race, assuming that Bernie Sanders would drop out. Uh, you know, or you know, whoever did better in those first two between Sanders and Warren theoretically should be left standing in a three-person race with Buddha Judge. And let's say Warren and Biden, you know what? I, I'm not 100% sure how that turns out. Uh, Joe Biden seems to have a, a pretty good sh- a lock on about 30 to 35% of the Democratic primary voter. But if he gets head to head, this is what Biden really cannot do. He cannot go head to head, in my opinion, uh, with uh, Warren and Buttigieg or Buttigieg early on. If it's early on, let's say, in, you know, South Carolina, Nevada, Nevada, South Carolina, that era, and it becomes Judge Biden or Warren versus Biden, I think Biden's got problems. I think Biden needs a somewhat uh, split field, but not a four-way race. A four-way race of four equals would also be problematic for Biden. So I'm becoming mildly optimistic that barring a disaster, Biden is probably going to be the nominee, but that's nowhere near. I don't even know what percentage I would put on it. Maybe a little over 50 percent. Uh, but uh, but in, in doing that and getting that done, is he going to actually give up his ability to trounce Donald Trump in a general election? Because, partially because of this Ukrainian situation. And let's face it, an impeachment trial, the Republicans are going to turn into a show trial attacking Joe Biden. That's what they're going to do. Correct. That's what this this entire strategy is. And I think that there's some signs that while none of this is hurting Biden so far on the Democratic side, that it could end up hurting him in a general election, which is a very, very, very different animal. So while I'm glad to see Joe Biden show a little spunk, and I had no problem with that confrontation with the Iowa voter, I do think it's emblematic of how he is going to be held to a completely different standard than Donald Trump. Partially because, let's face it, it's not just the conservative media. All the media is somewhat invested in a Donald Trump re-election. Not philosophically, but from a commercial standpoint, because it's very, very good for them. A Biden presidency would be very bad for the news media economically correct because it would be mostly boring i mean because even biden's gaps are not nearly as uh, interesting or uh, as ratings grabbing as what trump does on a daily basis correct so obviously the biden scenario is going to be a huge part of this entire election going forward and we'll continue to cover it but i wanted to 
I felt like that uh, confrontation with the Iowa voter was emblematic of something that uh, is going to be a much larger issue going forward, and that's why I wanted to spend some time on, time on it in this particular episode of the podcast. Now, another thing that happened that made me think about Biden and really made me almost feel a little bit worse about Biden's chances is that Hillary Clinton did a very high-profile interview this week, and she did it on the Howard Stern radio program on satellite radio and frankly and and this is so weird coming from a guy who is you know uh, was at one point a charter member of the right-wing conspiracy that hillary once referenced Uh, i've been a clinton uh, hater from way way back Uh, i did not like her i didn't hate her as much as bill uh, but i i did not like her Uh, over time i started to think that the right wing had kind of lost their mind on her but i've never been a hillary fan I will maintain till I die that conservatism would have been better off if Hillary had won in 2016, not because she's remotely conservative, but in the long run, in the long run, conservatism would have been better off because Trump has effectively killed conservatism for his own personal benefit. But what I found interesting about this interview with Howard Stern is that she came off as way more likable than normal, way more like if if this had been the Hillary Clinton that we had seen throughout the 2016 election, she would have been president. I mean, she even at one point was very open about the fact she's not a lesbian, and she did so in a pretty funny sort of way. Uh, But here's a story that she told uh, that um, I found interesting on a couple levels. It deals with Trump's inauguration, and she talked to to Howard Stern about how she decided to go to the inauguration, and then she's sitting next to George W. Bush, and she's stunned— by the nature of Trump's inaugural speech, which was very divisive. It was very dark. I remember having a similar experience watching it like, oh, my gosh. Okay, so this is that was the moment that we knew for sure, okay, Trump is not going to grow into this office. He's not going to change. He's going to be the same guy who got elected, which, of course, his fans love. But even Obama, Obama was not the same guy as president as he was in the campaign. Thankfully so. Uh, He grew into the office. He realized, wait a minute, a lot of crazy stuff I was talking about on the campaign trail is just unrealistic, and uh, it's just it's counterproductive. It's not going to work. I'm, and he grew into the office. He realized uh, the nature of reality. Trump did not do that, and it was clear from his inaugural address he was not going to do that. And here is Hillary Clinton telling Howard Stern her reaction to the speech, and then what George W. Bush told her after it was over. You know, Bill and I are sitting with George and Laura Bush. And then he started on that speech, which was so bizarre. And that's when I got really worried. I thought, wait a minute. This isn't rational. It's not rational, but it's also not it's not politics. It's not what a president does. A president is supposed to try to reach out to people who weren't for him or her. You're supposed to say, okay. I'm going to be the president of everyone, those who supported me and those who didn't, because we're going to pull the country together. I'd hope that I would hear a little of that. I didn't hear any of that. And then that carnage in the street and the dark dystopian vision, I was sitting there like just, wow, couldn't believe it. And George W. Bush says to me, well, that was some weird shit. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love George W. You got to love George W., because you know that's exactly what happened. (laughs) I have to say, uh, mentioning George W., and I'm a George W. fan. My wife loves George W. Bush more than she loves me. 
Uh, we've had our picture taken with uh, George W. Bush backstage at the old Tonight Show here in uh, Burbank, uh, and and he signed her book for her, all because uh, I miraculously figured out that the, the two guys sitting in front of us while watching the Tonight Show were with the president, and I uh, I begged them to help us uh, find him backstage, and they somehow decided to agree to help me and so that's partially why i'm still married so i mean that that's the i mean so i love my i I love some george w bush but i do have to say i i would like george w to be making some public statements at this point instead of just hiding behind this idea that as a former president he doesn't do that i realize that's his policy i get that that policy under normal circumstances is perfectly rational and there's a reason for it Uh, we're not in normal times and i don't know what you're keeping your powder dry for George W. Not that he listens to the podcast in all likelihood, but uh, you know, I, I really wish that he would make a stand at some point, at some point, and for instance, on impeachment and say, okay, yeah, I do believe this is an impeachable offense. I don't think it would be a game changer anymore, but it would help and, uh, and it would be the right thing to do because he clearly understands this. And that, that story that Hillary told uh, exposes that he, he understands this. Now, the Trump fan, when they hear that story, they think, that's awesome. Yeah, he's stirring things up. He's sticking it to the establishment. Well, no. Um, there, there's, <laughs> they're sticking it to the establishment. And then there's, there's just causing so much chaos and not accepting uh, traditional norms that you're putting us in dangerous territory. And, and by the way, we're the greatest country that the man ever created. So it's not like we need to blow everything up. There's no need to blow the whole, you know, blow up all the boxes, blow up the entire system. Uh, you know, I'm I'm all in favor of change, but uh, not the change that Donald Trump has been talking about. Which, which, as I go back to how we began this podcast, is really about becoming a king, a king for a a minority of the population. That's, I mean, that, this is really one of the scenarios that our founding fathers feared the most. A king that would be ruling on behalf of a minority. And that's what Donald Trump is. And, you know, to the bigger picture of Hillary, when I, when I watched the, the Hillary or the portions of the Hillary Stern interview, I thought, okay, um, wow, Joe Biden really isn't that good. <laughs> because Hillary, who's not a good candidate, is a lot better at this than Joe Biden. And if magically, if magically... Uh, Hillary Clinton uh, could have been uh, absolved from all of her sins in 2016. Or let's pretend she never ran in 2016. Or let's even pretend she didn't run in 2008. I, I believe that she would be the Democrats' best chance to beat Trump and be a non-destructive president. Of the people who could win the nomination, beat Trump, and be non-destructive president, Hillary is probably better suited than Biden is, except for the fact that having tried twice in in high-profile situations where she was the favorite and lost, you don't get a third bite of the apple. There's just no way, and Democrats aren't going to realize that they're in that kind of a desperate situation to go that route soon enough for that ever to be possible. But she has said she's not a thousand percent decided she's not running. Now, part of that is because, you know, it helps your publicity, you get more coverage, and people treat you differently if they still think you might run for president. I don't think she's going to, but seeing the Hillary interview did make me go, 
boy, uh, Biden's, Biden really does have some problems because Hillary's not that great at this, and she's a lot better than Joe Biden is. I do want to um, mention this um, this situation that occurred at the uh, naval base in Pensacola, Florida. This is definitely in the realm of things that it's amazing aren't a bigger deal, especially considering the facts of the situation as we currently know them and President Trump's proclivities for protecting Saudi Arabia. But it, it, this appears to be an emerging potentially huge story where three U.S. military personnel, naval personnel, are dead because a Saudi military member who was training there uh, killed them. Other people were also injured in the attack, and it's becoming very clear that this person had support of other Saudis, some of whom are missing. So this has all the makings of a potential terrorist attack. If not a, ter- I mean, if it's not a terrorist attack, I don't know what you call uh, a terrorist attack or what is a terrorist attack. Um, but we have a, a Saudi military member killing U.S. naval personnel. And the Trump reaction is, well, the Saudi king is upset about this and he'll pay us some money to make it uh, all better. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what Trump has said. And when you add in uh, the Khashoggi situation where Trump sided with the Saudi royal family and turned out to be flat wrong, that it's clear that the, the royal family knew everything about the Khashoggi assassination and dismemberment. And, and Trump sided with them. And now here he is much more concerned with the temperament of the Saudi king than he is with the fact that three U.S. military personnel have died. Uh, it's, a, it's remarkable that this kind of a narrative, regardless of how much Trump is to blame or not to blame for what actually happened, it's remarkable to me that this gets no traction at all, certainly within uh, Trump fans, Trump supporters, or conservative media. Because, again, if you reverse it, and this is always the test, if you reverse it, if this happened under an Obama administration and Obama was anywhere near, and there were signs that he was, anywhere near as soft on Saudi Arabia and as protective of the Saudi royal family as uh, Trump has been, the right-wing media would be all over Barack Obama for that. Correct. It would be a massive scandal, regardless of what the reality was, what the truth was. And I'll be very curious to see uh, how this evolves moving forward. And as I mentioned in last week's podcast, two podcasts ago, you know, this weekend is the Army-Navy football game. We've got several military scandals now that are are bubbling and and should be a huge deal that in a rational world should, if Trump decides to go to the Army-Navy football game, would impact his reaction uh, the reaction to him at that uh, contest. I don't know whether he's going or not. My, he's been going to every other uh, sporting event over the last couple of months, and this is one where he would normally get a very, 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 very positive reaction, partially because the crowd is very Republican, partially because the crowd has literally been trained to respect the office of the presidency. So my guess is he'll go, and he'll get a tremendous reaction, and that will get more traction than any of these uh, scandals that in in a rational world might erode some of his support uh, within the military. And these these are the advantages that uh, Trump has as the commander-in-chief, as the incumbent who is running for re-election, which cannot and should not be underestimated. Now, in, in a moment, I'll have a few closing thoughts on this episode of the podcast, a few more uh, topics involving impeachment as well as our traditional end of the program. But first, here's an important interview I did with Tom Bauer, the founder of our sponsor, Imbue CBD. 
Tom, thanks so much for joining us and for your sponsorship of the program. Please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Imbue Botanicals. Sure, John. Imbue Botanicals produces really the most extensive line of premium clinical-grade full-spectrum CBD products, including tinctures, capsules, topical lotions and salves, and even award-winning beauty products. They're available in multiple strengths for both people as well as pets. Our premium Colorado-grown hemp products are non-GMO, cruelty-free, and even vegan. Now, a lot of people might not be that familiar yet with CBD. It's getting a lot of publicity. But for those who aren't, what is CBD and why do you guys think it's so important? CBD is short for cannabidiol. It's one of the 115 or so cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. It's generally accepted as the cannabinoid or the element, basically, that provides the health benefits for cannabis. But science has shown really that CBD works best when combined with all the other cannabinoids and the natural terpenes that are found naturally in the plant, which is why our products are full spectrum, meaning they offer a full cadre of all the cannabinoids and terpenes for maximum effectiveness. Now, Tom, you mentioned that Imbue uses hemp. Tell our audience, if you will, the difference between hemp and marijuana, and why your product is not the latter. Great, John. It's really important to understand this. You know, we're all familiar with medical marijuana. Our products are, are not made from marijuana. They're actually made from hemp. Basically, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis sativa plant. The difference is that hemp contains extremely low levels of THC, which is the cannabinoid that makes you high when you ingest or smoke marijuana. By law, hemp must contain 0.3% or less of THC by dry weight. So, so low, basically, that you can't get high from the product. So, in essence, basically, with hemp, you get all the health benefits of medical marijuana without the high or the psychoactive effect of THC. I should also add here that Congress last year passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which essentially legalized hemp federally and descheduled all the non-THC cannabinoids. So, Essentially, it's, it's, uh, it's legal, which obviously people want to know. Is, you know, can, can I buy it? Can I use it? It's legal. Now, when, when I use it, it's really helped my sleeping. I've only just started using uh, some of your products. But tell us, uh, what are some of the benefits that our listeners might find if they, if they use Imbue Botanical products? Really great question, John. We're actually not allowed to make claims about CBD or products per the FDA. Just an aside, if your listeners come across sites out there that are making health claims, we should always just avoid them. Just You don't want to deal with, with folks like that. It's, it's not legal to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't health benefits to CBD. We at MU Botanicals always encourage our customers to do their own research. There is a ton of information and studies available on the Internet. You want to talk to your physician, your independent pharmacist, even your veterinarian. You know, become informed. We've seen some absolutely amazing things personally and with our customers. Obviously, you know, the onus, if you will, is on each individual to to go out there and, and do the kind of research to see if it may be a fit for the kind of things that they're experiencing. Also, you know, check out our website, which has a ton of additional information as well. And that website is? It's www.imbuecbd.com. That's www.imbuecbd.com. Now, you mentioned the FDA, and just before we taped this interview, there was a news story where the FDA put out a warning and sent letters to, I think, 15 different CBD companies. Yours was not one of them. It was perceived as the FDA basically, I don't know, seemed to be like, backing away a little bit from CBD. What was your interpretation of what the FDA did and, and how should our listeners interpret it? That's an extremely good question as well, John. And I think first and foremost, 
is what the FDA is doing, especially when they're sending out letters to companies that they send letters out to, is doing their job. Their job is to really protect the American public from, you know, basically, you know, drugs that shouldn't be there, that aren't doing what they're supposed to do, that can cause harm, and also making sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to do. In in the case of these letters, these companies were making health claims simply because of how FDA operates and and the way that, uh, you know, CBD, which is basically a kind of a a brand new uh, thing for FDA, they're not allowed to make. You know, I'm glad that they're doing that. You know, we never make claims uh, at Imbue Botanicals. That's something that that is, again, is, is goes back to the customer to do a lot of their own research on. They also came out with some basic overviews and essentially said you should really know what you're doing before you take CBD. It's not necessarily something you should be taking in water and in food products. You should basically get the kind of information that you need and talk to your healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your, your veterinarian, to make sure that there's a medical professional, you know, kind of assisting in the process. Now, in my experience, having used the product and seen the packaging and everything, you guys are totally first class, but first class comes with some expense. You guys are a little bit more expensive than your competitors. Tell us, tell us why you bring more value. We are more expensive than some folks, and certainly not more expensive than others, but uh, but we're, we are a higher-priced product, and the reason for that is, is where we grow, how we extract, how we formulate our products. We do that for maximum effectiveness. And, you know, what our folks tell us, and whether they're the pharmacies that we sell to or the customers that use our product or patients who use our product every day, they tell us that the product works and works better than things that uh, other products that they bought. It's more expensive to do it correctly, but ultimately that's obviously what customers want. If you're going to spend the money, they want something that works, and that's what our products do. So, Tom, if our listeners want to buy your products and, or learn more about them, where should they go? Go to our website. It's www.imbuecbd. That's www.imbuecbd.com. Imbuecbd.com. Tom, thanks so much for your time and your sponsorship. John, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. One more thought on the state of impeachment that I failed to reference earlier. The Trump team has basically now said, fuck you, to impeachment. Uh, We're not participating. This is totally illegitimate. And uh, you guys can all go screw yourselves. And the American people know this is all a hoax. I I wish that that was (laughs) an inaccurate paraphrase, but it's pretty darn close. Correct. And what bothers me most about this is the circular argument that's being used by the Trump team and, and his sycophants, both in the Congress and in the conservative media. Let's let me see if I can follow this. So. The impeachment process has been illegitimate because supposedly Trump supporters, Republicans, have been prevented from being from taking part in the process. They can't call witnesses, supposedly. They can't attend hearings, which is bullshit. But it's all because they've not been allowed to participate in the process that it's illegitimate. Now we're at the stage of impeachment where the Trump team has been invited to participate, invited to bring witnesses, invited for, for instance, Trump himself to testify. They have been invited to do all this. They don't need to be, but they have been invited. And now the Trump team's position is, well, we are not going to participate because this process is illegitimate. Oh, hold on a second. 
you, you said the process was illegitimate because you weren't allowed to participate. Now you're being invited to participate and you're saying you won't because the process is illegitimate? That is a circular argument. It's just flat out ridiculous. It, it's also just not true. It's not based in reality. It's also an indication of just how pathetic the Republican Trump defense is. They can't talk about the facts. They can't talk about logic. They can't even talk about what the Constitution says or what impeachment is. They have to make up some bullshit about the process that's completely inherently contradictory uh, because uh, of the circular argument that I just articulated. So I, I felt like that was at least important to mention. I had forgotten it uh, early on in the podcast. We end each uh, podcast with an update on the percentage chances of Trump not finishing his first term in office and being reelected. There's been a slight shift, uh, probably in a negative direction for most people who listen to this podcast. I'm not going to put at 8% the chances that uh, Donald Trump does not finish his first term in office. That's right. We're down to 8%. And um, largely because of really good economic numbers that came out that uh, caused the stock market to rebound after some statements made by Trump that uh, caused it to go down because of the ongoing uh, tariff situation and China trade uh, uh, negotiations. The, the economy here in the United States, for some reason, somehow, some way, despite Donald Trump, in my view, uh, continues to be strong. And in a, with that strong of an economy, uh, 11 months out from an election, uh, that is really strong evidence that the incumbent has a very good chance of being reelected, even when they're Donald Trump, even when their approval ratings are only 43 percent, especially when the Democratic candidate doesn't look like it's going to be a, a fantastic option for the average American. So I'm going to put his chances of reelection now at 42 percent. Again, please no wagering. That'll do it for this episode of the podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual1pod. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network.